to 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to read verses 3 through 11. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 3 through 11. And for one last time, for a little while anyway, if you got it, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Second Samuel chapter 6, verses 3 through 11. And it's also up on the screen as well. This is what it says. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, for God uh, struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside of the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord broke out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Heavenly Father, we pray today that you would anoint our ears and our hearts to hear and receive. Lord, that you would anoint me to preach your word powerfully and effectively. And God, I pray today that you would change us forever and we would seek your presence because of your word today. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. If you uh, were here last week... If you were not here last week, if you were here, you remember. If you were not here, let me recap a little bit for you. Uh, Because this is sort of a part two to what we talked about last week. I wasn't necessarily planning on having a part two when I preached last week, but the Lord laid it on my heart and has kind of really set a precedent and a priority in my spirit uh, about the importance of His presence. And so last week, we really talked about the importance of his presence. We talked about how we have to have it. It is where we meet with God. It's where we hear from God. It's where our lives are changed. It's it's where we have foundational uh, key moments established in our relationship with God and for our life. And we talked about how they didn't move unless the ark and God's presence went before them. And, And how should we ever even think we can go anywhere without God's hand and favor upon us? And so we really talked about how important it is to have God's presence active in our church and in our lives as individuals. And without it, there's really no hope. There's really no direction. There's really no guidance. There's there's nothing for us to hang on to. And it's more than just this goosebump, chills down the spine, happy little warm feeling uh, that we feel in his presence. That's just letting us know he's there, but there is a working that he does within his presence that is so significant and so life-changing and earth-shattering for us that we should never try to live our life without it. 
And that's what we really hit on last week and, and how important it is. But uh, there's some things we really need to understand because it's very important for us to have his presence, but we need to kind of establish how do we get to his presence, how do we handle his presence when it's there, and, and, and how, how do we work with it, how, how do we handle it? Because God is not just letting, not, not a God who just lets us fly by the seat of our pants and just do willy-nilly whatever. He's given direction for us and how to handle his presence and his glory in our lives and in the church as well. And so when we read this scripture, you've probably heard this scripture before, and, and I think many of us look at it and almost think it's a little bit harsh that us had to die for this because he was well-intentioned in what he was doing. But the problem is, is even though he was well-intentioned, he disobeyed the Lord. You see, the, their first mistake in all of this is at the very beginning of the scriptures and that said that they moved the ark on a new cart. They were moved, that nowhere in scripture does God ever give a direction to move the ark around on a cart. It's, he's very specific in that there's poles that go through these, these rings and, and it is the Levitical priesthood that is to carry this presence. And it's very specific directions on how the presence of God is to be handled. And now we don't have an ark that we carry into service today, but there is still direction on how to handle his presence. There are methods and there are things that God has approved and disapproved for how we we can enter into his presence and to handle his presence when he shows up. And their biggest mistake was they were trying to direct God's presence. They were trying to move God's presence and lead God's presence according to their own wisdom and their own understanding. You see, it was such a big mistake that it, it, us as brother Ahio, Ahio, however you want to say it, I am not good at those pronunciations of some of these names. But he was, it said that he was going before the ark. He was trying to direct the direction of God's presence. As we learned last week that the ark of God represents the presence of God in the Old Testament. Because that is where he met with people. He enthroned himself on the mercy seat of the ark. And so he's trying to lead the way. He's trying to direct how God's presence should go, where it should go, and he's trying to have control of it. Uzzah thinks that because the oxen stumbled that he has this, this responsibility to save it with his own unholy hands. So no wonder the oxen stumbled because it wasn't even being carried properly to begin with. And we need to understand that when we mishandle the presence of God, we should not be shocked when things fall apart and things start to fall and, and the oxen stumble, if you will, and the cart flips over. That We should not be shocked by that because there, there is a way to have God's presence in the church and in our lives, and there is a way to not do it. And a way to not do it is to try to use our own methods our own ideas about how his presence is directed and used and, and, and move through the church in our lives. You see, the, the Philistines used a cart. They saw that that's when the, to backtrack slightly, the Philistines had seized control of the ark. David went back to get it, and then they were moving it on a cart. They probably saw that's how the Philistines are moving it. It seems to work for them, so let's have it work for us that same way. You see, a lot of times we get to watching other people and seeing what they're doing and how they're handling God's presence. We look at other churches. We look at other people's individual lives. 
and they give an appearance of effectiveness, but the reality of it is, is they're living in disobedience. It looks like they're carrying the presence of God. There's an appearance of it, but they are so out of line with what God really wants. It has determined to be the proper way to handle his presence that they are not ever really going to experience it. In fact, it will only ever bring them trouble as we see in this story. You see, Uzzah thought he could take matters into his own hands and, and use his own methods to save God's presence as if it needed to be saved. You see, we get all these fancy new methods and we start to worry about, oh, there's, there's no millennials in the church or Gen Zers in the church, so we got to come up with new ways to manipulate the atmosphere to make it feel like God's presence is there and, and all of these different things. And, and there are places that have gotten really good at that that have an imitation of what, God, uh, of what God's presence might feel like. They, you, can, you can imitate the tingly, good, warm feeling. There are plenty of things that can make you feel that but there is nothing like the presence of God when it comes to transforming lives and changing people for all of eternity. There is nothing that can imitate that. But we, we have gotten really good at playing church. We have gotten really good at coming up with cool, trendy things. And I have, I really personally, I have nothing wrong with the lights and the fancy stuff. I got, there's nothing wrong with it as long as it's used under the right intentions with the right heart for the glory of God. But when it becomes about just copying and pasting what somebody else is doing or trying to, uh, stir up emotions within people, then we move away from the presence and we turn into an emotionalism movement. And I, don't get me wrong, God created emotions. Emo, there's nothing wrong with having an emotional experience in God's presence. But what, what the problem becomes is when we replace God's presence with emotional experience and call it God's presence. Because it's very easy to sing certain songs and uh, hit certain notes to manipulate the feelings that we feel. It's, it's not that complicated. There's science behind all of those things. And I want us to be cautioned today. And this is my point with this cart, this new cart, is that not just because it looks new, just because it looks fancy, just because it looks effective, doesn't mean it's truly genuine. Doesn't mean it's really of God. And I'm not bashing on how other people do church because that may be the way God has led them to do it and, and God is probably moving and changing lives and that's not what I'm trying to do today. I'm just trying to establish with you that there is a difference between fake presence and the real presence. And I desire and I hope you as well desire to experience the true genuine move of God in our lives and in this church. We don't get to decide how to handle God's presence. God has already made that determination. You see, when Uzzah reached out to touch the ark, Uzzah was not designated to touch it because he did not have the holy hands that the Levitical priesthood had. He was touching something holy with something unholy. And we need to understand today that when, we come, when it comes to handling the presence of God, we have to come to him and into his presence with worship, with pure hands and a pure heart. 
It's really, and I'm not saying God won't move in the midst of sinners. That's not what I'm saying because he certainly will because that's how he draws them to himself. But what I'm saying is is the presence of God is not something to be taken lightly and that you can just live any way you want to live and expect him to show up the same way every time. That's why it's so important about who steps to the pulpit and it's important about who steps in to lead worship, that they are people who have a true relationship with God, that they are people dedicated to prayer and studying and fasting and, and they, they, they understand what it means to step in with holy hands to handle something like that because it's not something to be taken lightly. It's, it's a heavy issue, God's presence is. And, I, and my fear and, and my, my, my heart breaks to even think that we, as, as the capital C church, have just turned God's presence into just another show or experience or whatever you want to call it. And, and we've taken, taken it and turned it into this, this uh, marketable business plan rather than just a true encounter and relationship with him. Because that's what it really is. And I, I fear that we've taken it, and, and instead of letting God have his way, we say, hey, God, we're going to set all of this up, and we're going to have all this atmospheric uh, uh, stuff going on with the lights and all of these different things, and, and we're going to try to manipulate it and put you into this box, and this is how you can show up in our church. Can you, uh, can you imagine for a moment that we are in a third world country without electricity, meeting in a wood, mud shack somewhere. Could you imagine that the reason we would miss out on God's presence is because we didn't have a fancy light show or we didn't have the, a worship team even. It was just the people coming together as one choir singing worship under the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I think we, we've gotten to the point where we've overcomplicated this whole thing. And we've polluted the holy with the unholy, trying to, to make it happen in our own way, in our own strength, and we've mishandled it in a lot of ways. We don't get to determine how we carry God's presence, and, and I and I and in this story here, it's it's interesting because after uh, Uzzah is struck dead next to the Ark of God, David gets scared, and I think it's because David in this moment has realized how powerful God's presence really is, and how things that are unholy can't exist in His holy presence. And that really messes with him. And he really he, he's angry at first. And, and we got to understand that when God's presence really does show up, it, it changes things. It will cast out the unholy. In other words, it will bring conviction upon you. His presence will convict us of the things that are unholy. And as whereas he's not going to just strike us dead, but he may strike our flesh and kill our flesh off and say, listen, this part of you cannot enter into my presence. If you want to go further into my presence, this part, your pride has to die. Your, your, the gossip has to die. The, all of the, he, he will crucify those things that cannot die be in his presence because he will not allow his, his holiness to be corrupted by our mess. His presence will evict 
the unholy things of our life. And I think that really scared David because David said, whoa, Uzzah was well-intentioned, thought he was doing the right thing, was really doing the wrong thing, and, and he paid a heavy price for it, and now I'm terrified, and I don't want this anywhere near, anywhere near my city because I'm afraid of what else might die because of his presence. And I think that's really how we get with his presence. We get nervous around his presence because we get worried about what are we going to lose? What things is he going to make us cut loose in our life? What things are going to have to die in our life? What things are not going to be allowed to exist in our life? Because his presence will make your flesh uncomfortable. His spirit is that the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians that there is a war that goes on between the Holy Spirit and our unholy flesh. That they're always at war. The desires of each are at war. And I can tell you right now, when you start getting into the presence of God, you feel that battle even harder in your life. It becomes more fierce within you because those desires of the flesh start to be confronted with the desires of the Spirit for your life. And one of them has to go. They can't exist together. And what happens is is our flesh gets in the presence of God and it says, I I don't like this. I want to back away. I want to go to the corner. I just want to go to my car and leave. I want to go down to Golden Corral and just eat my chicken and just forget about it because I don't like the way this feels. But the reality of it is, is your flesh is always going to lie to you because your flesh is after its own self-preservation. And we have to understand today that when it comes to handling the presence of God is that when we start to handle it and his presence starts to show up, there are things in your life that are not going to be able to stand because of it. And we don't like this kind of stuff because we want to be comfortable. We want to just sit in our life, be the same all the time and not have to deal with change. We don't like change. That's human nature. Humans want to be comfortable. That, that's our goal. Like, look at our entire life from birth until death. We, we are born. We're learning how to live in this world. We're learning how to survive in this world. Then you get older, you start working a job, and you start making money, and you start doing different things to make your life, what, comfortable. It's not the pursuit of happiness. It's the pursuit of comfort that we seek. The more comfortable we are, the more happy we think we'll be. But the reality of it is, is the more comfort we get, we just feel more empty. And the reality is, is when we get into the presence of God, it will push on those things that are uncomfortable. It'll start cutting away those things that are comfortable in our life, those things that we want to keep in our life, the, those fleshly desires. It will, it will begin to cut those things out of us and away from us, and we don't want that. We want to hang on to those things. But if you really want to experience God moving in your life, you have to allow yourself to be uncomfortable sometimes. There are things that are hard to do. They, they just are. Jesus never said, come follow me and it's all going to be easy. He said, no, if anybody wants to come after me and follow me, they're going to have to pick up their cross and carry it. They're going to have to die to themselves. You're going to have to give up the things of this world that you love in many cases 
There are dreams and desires. There, like, like these disciples were fishers, were fishermen, and, and they had a pretty good gig going, and, and they had a family business, and they had all these things lined up, and uh, they had tax, some were tax, uh, tax collectors and, and different business people and all these different people of, of all these different walks of life. They had all this great security, and he looked at them, he said, listen, I have no, he says, foxes have dens, but I have no place to lay my head. So be wary. When you follow me, you're going to give it all up, all of your comfort, all of those things. But yet somehow in 2023 and even long before this year, we have it in our minds, and I think it's just the Western Christianity that following Jesus means that we just get to live in comfort and luscious living. But the reality of it is, is following Jesus can be the hardest thing you will ever do. It's challenging. It's uncomfortable. You have to fight spiritual battles regularly. But the reality is, is it leads to us having his presence active in our life. And it's worth it 100%. When God's power is realized through his presence, our flesh will get nervous And when our flesh gets nervous is when we seek to take control of the situation and we abandon God's presence for the sake of our own comfort, and that should not be so. David gets so afraid of it that he totally abandons the ark of God. He says, "Eh, we're not going to go to my city. We're not going to go to where I might lose everything. And he's like, I live a pretty comfortable life. I want to keep it that way. And so he ditches it at Obed-Edom's house, and Obed has it for three months, the Bible says, and for three months he gets nothing but blessed. Nothing but blessed for three months. And I believe it's because he properly reverenced and handled God's presence while it was there. It doesn't say Obed-Edom's life was easy because of his presence there. It says he was blessed because of it. And David begins to see the blessings. He says, hold on, we messed something up along the way. We have to go back and we have to get it. And this time we're going to do it right. And he does. He brings it back into the city of David. You see, when we mishandle God's presence, it brings a lot of destruction. Because you, we think we're handling God's presence properly, but the reality of it is is when, when we try to control what God wants to do, when we try to bring it under submission to us, all we, all we do is leave a wake of destruction in our path behind us. And it just, it brings nothing but hardship. It brings nothing but death and destruction when we try to dictate God. It destroys things when we work against him, when we walk in disobedience. So David realizes this. He sees the blessing and says, hold on, we're going to do it right because I see now that if we handle God's presence properly, it is, it is a great blessing to his people. And so today I want us to be blessed by his presence. I want us to handle it properly so that, properly so that when his presence shows up, it is a great blessing to us. I don't want to try to manipulate and carry it wrong and just follow the popular methods and, and whatever. And there's some great wisdom out there, but, and, and there are some things that are biblical that are worth following and, and, and doing. But mostly, I, I just want God to say, this is how I want you to do it, and we do it that way and be done with it. Because I want to be blessed because of his presence. I don't want to try to create and mimic something and let it be a disaster. 
And so I want us to understand four quick things today that we need to know about God's presence and really worship as well, because worship is a very key part of his presence being here. As we understood last week is another recap is God's presence was invoked and, and, and brought about in the, in the tent of meeting on the ark in the, in, upon the ark on the mercy seat because of their worship and the things that they did leading up to it. But I need us to understand today, I'm not going to rehash all of those, but I do want us to understand that worship invites the presence of God. Psalm 22.3 says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And Israel just means God's people. And so today, when we praise and we worship God, he sets his throne upon those praises. He meets with us in times and places of praise and worship. That's where his presence shows up. It shows up in those moments. But we need to understand about worship as well is that worship is not about us. It's not about us. Exodus chapter 30, uh, God's giving some direction about incense within the tabernacle. He says, And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. In other words, don't take what I have determined to be worship unto me and make it about yourself. It says, don't take the incense that is supposed to be burned in the tabernacle as worship unto me and take it and turn it into perfume to adorn yourself with. Don't steal the worship that is meant for God for yourself. We can't make the being a worship leader about ourselves. We can't make being a pastor or church leader or Sunday school teacher or whatever about ourselves and our own glory. It's not for us to wear. It's glory that is supposed to be adorning unto him. It's worship that belongs to him. When we begin to make it about ourselves is when we really start running into trouble. He says you will be cut off. That is a dangerous place to be. When we begin to make worship about ourselves, when we come into the house of God and, and we even begin to say things like, ah, I, don't, I don't really like this song. Uh, I don't really, I don't know this song, so I'm just going to sit here and with my hands folded. And, and we, we get these attitudes that, well, I can't worship to this because I don't know it. You, the songs you do know at one point, believe it or not, you didn't know them either. You had to learn them too. We say, ah, it's too loud or it's too quiet. And, 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 and we get so caught up in everything being just right for us. But the reality of it is, is we're not trying to make it just right for us. We're trying to make it just right for him. We want to follow what God has given us to do in order for his presence to move powerfully in this place. It may not be just right for you, but it's not about you. I heard a story one time pastor friend told me where uh, somebody in the church began to have issues with uh, the, the different songs and all that. Like, I just didn't like the song selection today. And he looked at that person with love in his heart, meaning it as a moment of correction and teaching for them and said, well, that's okay, sweetheart, because those songs weren't for you. 
and that's a tough pill for some of us to swallow today. Because we don't, listen, there are songs I don't like. There's actually songs that I refuse to allow in this church because they're unbiblical, but that's a totally different thing. But there are, there are, there are songs that I just, I don't know them that well, so it's hard for me. But there's this wonderful little thing that we have in this time and age with these TV screens up here. Put the words up there so we can follow along and learn a new song. And if you are struggling to sing along with it, sing your own words from your heart. Songs are just a method. They're not the worship itself. The worship comes from our hearts. The songs mean nothing without the heart behind it. But that, that's the reality, is it's not for us. We don't sing the songs for our enjoyment. If you want the music for your own enjoyment, turn on the radio in your car, get the CDs, get Spotify or Apple Music, whatever it is you use to listen to it on your own time. But when we are in the house of God, it's not our time, it's His. Yes, there are benefits to being in a time of worship, but we need to understand that when his presence shows up, it is a reward of true worship. Well, he's, he, he looks at us as we worship and cry out to him and seek his face, and he says, that is pleasing to my ears and to my heart. I'm going to go meet with them today. I'm going to reward their worship with my presence. That's, that's how God works. But we have this in our mind that God is somehow obligated to us just because we exist. And I think we forget who created who. We are obligated to him. We, we owe it to him to worship and praise him because he's the reason the breath is in our lungs to begin with. It is his breath in our If you go back into Genesis, he breathed the breath of life into Adam. And that breath has been carried on for centuries, for generations to us today. And yet somehow we think we have a right to withhold the words that are formed with that breath that glorify Him and worship Him because we don't like the song. Or the pastor said something we didn't really like today. My goal is not for you to like me. I want you to like me. It, it's nice when, I'm, when, when you like me. It makes things a little bit easier, but I can survive if you don't. I, I, I don't live, oh, Lord, help me. I don't live for your praises. I live to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. And there probably are times that you aren't going to like something I say or do, whatever. I'll, I won't lose any sleep over it, to be honest with you, because I'm not here to, to make you happy. I'm here to make God happy. That is my worship unto him. I am obligated to preach his word, to preach his truth, not our own happiness. I hope his word makes you happy, but if the word of God teaches me anything is that there are plenty of prophets that te taught his word and preached his word and they tried to kill them. So I'm not shocked 
when things don't always turn out with happy endings. But we really, I just want you to understand today that what we do in this house is not about us. You don't sing songs to make the person next to you happy. I've heard some of y'all sing. Some of y'all can't. I can, believe it or not, I, I can hear things behind me during worship, and I'm like, oh, Lord, they are worshiping and making a joyful noise. It's not necessarily pleasant, but they are worshiping you, and God bless them. <laughs> it's okay to laugh in church. It is. But I, I want us to understand today, it's not about us. It's not about the people around us. It's about glorifying God. And the reward of that is his presence. Two more things I want us to understand and we'll be done. We owe God our best, period. Malachi chapter 1, I'm not going to read the whole thing for you today. But if you want to read it on your own, read it yourself. Uh, you can read it, Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. I just want to highlight a couple of things that he says in it. He, he, is, he is condemning the people for their worship. He's saying, your worship is pretty sad and pathetic. He's saying, you're offering me blind animals, blemished animals. You, you, are, you are giving me all these things that are sick and keeping the best for yourself. This is the Brandon Scott version. He says how, this is his words in verse 8, when you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And then he goes on to say, and this is heavy, in verse 10, he says, oh, that there were one of you who would just shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. That's heavy. He's saying, I would rather you just close it all down, shut the doors of the temple, shut the doors of the church, and not ever come in again than give me something that is lame and pathetic. That hurts. And yet we stand just like these. Like, it's funny when you read the Bible, you know, we like to read it and, and make ourselves out to be the heroes of the Bible. But I think more often than not, we need a hero of the Bible for ourselves. He says, you offer all of these different sacrifices, the lame sacrifices, the, the blemished lambs. And, and all of these sacrifices are for worship unto God. And then he says, you have the audacity to say, Oh, what a weariness this is to complain about how hard it is to give a lame sacrifice of worship unto God. That's, he's saying, how many times have we ever, have we come into church and said, I'm just too tired for this today. This is so exhausting. Why are they asking me to keep standing up and sitting down? Why? Oh, this is exhausting. Why do I have to lift my hands and worship? Why? This is ridiculous. Why, why do I have to sing with, from my heart? Why do I have? How many times have we had that attitude in the house of God? 
It's not a question any of us wants to answer, but I think if we're going to be truly honest with ourselves, there has been at least one time in our life where we have felt that way. And I can be honest with you today and transparent and say there have been moments of my life where I have walked in the church and said, this is just too much for me today. There, there have been those moments in life. And it is really quiet in here right now. And I really hope and pray that this is not beating you up and tearing you down, but rather convicting us and moving us to be better. My goal is not to break down, but it's rather to give instruction that we may be built up. Because it is so heavy on my heart that the body of Christ, the capital C Church, has just so moved in the wrong direction away from God's presence to just serve our own desires and our own interests that we are not seeking his presence the way God wanted us to originally. And my goal is just to put us back on track today. Finally, I want us to understand this. In Numbers 9.17, it says this, And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there, it, there the people of Israel camped. What I want us to understand is the last thing for us today is when his presence arrives, we only move when he moves. The people of Israel, when God's presence showed up as a cloud or as a pillar of fire over that tent, they waited and they stopped and they said, we're going to stay right here in this moment, right here in this place until God says it's time to move. God's presence decides our direction, the timing of that direction, what direction we're going in, how fast we're going in it, all of it. God gets to make those decisions. Our agenda doesn't matter. Our, our lunch plans don't matter. Whatever I wanted to accomplish in the church service on a Sunday when God shows up, it doesn't matter. It's all about him. It always has been and it always will be. I just think, I don't just think, I know because God put this so heavy on me this week that we have just kind of lost sight of what it means to really handle God's presence because we are control freaks by nature and we want the control. We want to dictate how things go. But I want us to understand today that when we properly handle God's presence, when we let him dictate it, when we give him our best worship and praise, when we, when we withhold nothing from him, when we seek to please him and him only and not worry about what other people think, when we really seek after these things, when we, when, when we realize it's not about us and when we realize it's the importance of it all, then, like Obed-Edom, we will find great blessing in his presence. Great blessing, and that's my heart's desire for us. Will you bow your heads with me today? Yeah.